The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Open up your Bible this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. We answered the question yesterday, what is your why? We're going to answer the question right now, what is your hope? There is a lot of craziness going on. It is no longer the elephant in the room. It is in front of our face. It is center uh, of our lives. There is conversation and actual wars taking place. There are rumors of wars. There is hunger. There is disease. There is pestilence. There is famine. There is poverty raging all around us like never before. There is economical collapse that is potentially on the horizon. It's, it's, it's seen at the gas pump. It's seen in the fact that your parents' paycheck rapidly disappears uh, before they can even hardly get it deposited. Uh, it, it is the world that we live in, and yet the Bible oftentimes references wars and famines and rumors of war and pestilence and disease and, and, and all these things, earthquakes and, and natural disasters. And a lot of times people point that maybe they, those are signs of the times. And, and if you'll be honest with me, we've always had that. Uh, since Jesus Christ died and was buried and resurrected, we've, we've had these things. And listen to this, the church itself has always battled with this. Martin Luther himself, while he was translating the Word of God, felt that he had to get it done so urgently because he believed that Christ was coming back at any moment. It has been something that we uh, have dealt with throughout the ages, and for some of us, it brings excitement. Uh, to, to think about the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ brings an urgency, Lord, ever come quickly. Like yesterday, Paul said, to be with you, I would prefer that greatly, but it's more needful for you now that I stay. Even Paul was longing for the coming of Christ. Some of us, it brings worry. We, we just don't know all the answers, and we're a little concerned if the Word of God is clear or, or if it's speculative. Some of us, it's anxiety. We just get a little anxious when we think about nuclear wars, when we think about the apocalypse, right? Uh, these, these things create some type of emotion. Some of us potentially just don't even care. And, and, and it's not necessarily that you don't care because you're lethargic, and that might be, but you really just don't believe the Bible, and, and you don't really believe all this rapture talk, and, and, and you're, just not, you're just not concerned. And, and I understand that. That's the privilege we have of being designed by an almighty God who made us in his image and in his likeness with an intellect so we can discern truth or reject it. We've been given that privilege by God. I was at a funeral early in my um, pastorate. I was pastoring in North Carolina, Eastside Baptist Church, and, and uh, I had to attend a funeral because it was a family member connected to one of our church members, although I wasn't actually officiating the funeral. 
So after the service in the auditorium, we went out to the gravesite. I'll never forget it. I don't mean to laugh, but it's, it, it, there's a little bit of humor here. I'm standing in the back. The pastor is leading um, the family into prayer. They're underneath the tent, and, and the casket is sitting there. And uh, we're all standing in the back as friends and family and those supporting our church, although again, I wasn't hosting that uh, actual funeral service, our, our, our church was hosting the meal afterwards in our fellowship hall. So our ladies were back at the fellowship hall preparing, making sure everything was ready, and I was supposed to let them know when the graveside service was over and we were on the way. I had my cell phone in my pocket. I'm very good at turning off my cell phone. I hope that you are as well. My text ringer was that of a trumpet. I'm standing in the back. I am not stretching this story zero at all. I'm standing in the back. Me and one of the deacons were standing there and just listening to the preacher. And he says these things. Sorrow not as those which have no hope. Because someday those that are here are not going to sleep as others. And he's, he's paraphrasing the text. And we're going to, with the sound of a trumpet, ascend up into heaven to ever be with the Lord. And we can have comfort that that is going to happen. This literally happened. I was so embarrassed. He said, do you believe this? And people are nodding and crying. Let's bow our heads and thank God for this promise that we have and he bows his head and he says, dear Lord, and about the time he says that, they text me to see if it's time. My phone goes, I jump, right? And I look at the woman in front of me and she is standing there. I don't know her from Adam or Eve for that matter. And uh, she looks up <laughs> like that and she she begins to look around to see if anybody, I, I am not, me and the deacon are sitting there. We are cracking up. We are laughing so hard. And, uh, and I, I, again, there's a part of that that was fun. There's a part of that that was so nervous. But look, the truth be known, there is a trumpet that is going to sound. And you need to be ready. Our hope doesn't lie in a government that can handle all this raging warfare. Our hope doesn't lie in a president who can fix the economy. Our hope doesn't lie in the fact uh, that we're sick or not, or if the hospitals can uh, even uh, deal with what, is, uh, what we're facing in our lives. Our hope lies in Jesus Christ. And again, as we are struggling with this, so was the church of the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, the Bible gives us an indication from this healthy church. The Apostle Paul did not have long here. The Word of God said about three Sabbaths before they were run out of town. In that time, he gave them doctrine, taught them truth, the Word of God, and established this new church. He sends Timothy back to check up on them to see how they're doing. Timothy comes back and gives Paul a report. Here's what they're facing. They're doing great. God is working. They're thriving. They're growing. But here's a couple of things that they're struggling with. And one of the things they were struggling with is this. They had already begun to see persecution and death. Even though Paul taught them that Christ was returning and that those who were in Christ will go with him, they were now curious about those who had died previous to the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They were already concerned about those who were being persecuted and being killed for their faith and now are in the ground. And, and, and they were listening to some false teachers and, 
And, and they were being encouraged by others who were not actually lining up with the truth of the Apostle Paul. And so when Timothy reports this in this letter back to the church at Thessalonica, he encourages them with these words. And I want us to be encouraged today because your hope does not rest in you. It does not rest in the circumstances that are surrounding us. Do not be blinded by what you see and do not be overcome by the noise. You've got a God who's got this all planned out. And I think it's wise of us to be reminded of that this morning. So what is your hope? Let's find it in the text. Number one, my hope begins with belief. Belief in what? Notice verse 13 with me. But I would not have you ignorant to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep or you recognize as being dead that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. By the way, can I pause there and say that cannot be the status of the believer. We sorrow, we struggle, we battle, we're overwhelmed, we're hurt, but not like those who have no hope. Why? Notice what he says next in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also... Them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. What you believe determines who you are. What you believe determines where your hope lies. And the Bible says here, as Paul is encouraging this church, here's what he literally says to them. He says, for if we believe... Now, now to you, and I, I don't think this is so, but there might be a minority in this particular crowd that doesn't put a lot of confidence in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But for us who believe, it is our confidence. It is literally the only hope we have. Why is Easter season a big deal to the church? Literally, it's not because of Easter bunnies and candy, and that is enjoyable. But without the resurrection, I as a believer have no hope. Matter of fact, the Word of God says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, it was an issue then as well. But, there, but if there be no, listen, resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also is vain. Look, teenager, it's just not some simple fact about Christianity. Are you ready? It is the fact of Christianity. Because upon the, the, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, is where we um, find our strength and hope that we serve a God that is alive and not dead and that someday he will come and take us whether we have passed away and are buried or we're still alive. We are his body, we are his church and because he lives, I will live also. And that's where you find your hope. That's why we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear what's to come. The anxiety of the world in chaos, yes, it can be concerning, but we do not have to fear it. We have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this as well. My hope begins with the belief in the resurrection. Secondly, my hope begins with the belief in the word of the Lord. Notice what he says in the text. By the word of the Lord. 
Paul is signifying to the church at Thessalonica, I am not a here-come-lately preacher. What I'm giving to you is from God directly. It is the word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I have received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the word of God. This is our hope. This is where I can put my rest. This is where I can build my belief system on a book that has not changed. Over, listen, over two thousand prophecies have come true in detail. Um, I'm not a numbers guy, but the odds of that is one with 13 zeros behind it. Meaning this, the fact that what Christ has said that has come to pass concerning his prophecy, concerning his death, burial, and resurrection. That's amazing. And if you're honest with me, some of you are sitting here and you've put a lot of trust in that. I believe Christ because the Bible has proven to be true, not just among Christendom, but even historically it has proven to be right every single time. And yet there are still about 500 more prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. And you think if 2,000 or so were right, that 500 more definitely are going to be spot on. You can put your faith, your hope in Jesus Christ. He is coming. He died and was buried and rose again. And the word of the Lord says so. We can have confidence. We can leave this room resting in the bigness of our God. Notice, secondly, my hope is built on a promise. It begins with a belief, but it is built on a promise. Notice the text again, verse number 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That promise was given to us, me and you. That promise was given to the church at Thessalonica. That promise was given to the church of the dark ages. That promise was given to the people that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe in days to come. That's, that's our promise. That's the covenant that God has made with me and you today. And here's what he says, watch, ready? Listen to this, if you believe. If you believe, if you put your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you have confidence that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, if you believe, if you're that person, this is your promise. The Bible says that Jesus himself, Christ, is going to return. You're going to see him parting the clouds. There's going to be um, an explosive sound as he calls, a trumpet that is going to blow. And in that moment, every single one of us who believe the dead in Christ first shall be raised from the dead. And those that are alive and remain shall be ever caught up to be with him in the clouds. Christ himself made this promise and Christ himself is the one that is returning. So vitally important that we recognize the power behind the promise. 
When I was a teenager, I worked for my father. He owned an automotive business in Durham, North Carolina, still does. When I was a boy, my job was to sweep the, uh, the, the bay area where the cars were being worked on, to pick up the trash, to keep all the tools organized. As I got older, he taught me how to change tires and, and how to do oil changes. And I was involved in some of the technician work there uh, in the shop. When I got a little older, uh, my job was to go pick up customers' cars and bring them to the shop and, and then deliver parts and tires, et cetera. And so I worked for my dad all these years, but during the summer on Friday, I didn't go to the shop. On Fridays, my job was to stay home and take care of the house. And he still paid me. That's, that's a pretty good gig, uh, as if I'd worked five days, 40 hours. And so he would come in in the mornings. My dad would shake me. He was so weird. He'd sing songs, man, and still does still to this day. Like, you are my sunshine. And the problem is, the man struggles with a tune. It's hard to sleep through stuff like that. And so I would, yeah, dad, dad, I'm here. And he's like, don't forget, here's your chore list today. Get this accomplished. Yeah, dad, no problem. And as any good teenager, I would sleep till 10 o'clock or so. I'd get up downstairs. I'm a little hungry and I love to eat. And I'd go crack open a can of Chef Boyardee ravioli, warm it up in the microwave, lay in front of the TV and watch The Price is Right. When The Price is Right is over, I wasn't into all the stuff that followed. And so I had to find something to do. And so I, I'd oftentimes hop on my, my dirt bike and go for a ride on the trails, maybe go up to the service station nearby and pick up a Dr. Pepper and a candy bar. And, and, and that, that was my typical Friday. Come back home, play some video games. Back when the controller was a rectangle with one black little cross and red buttons. Uh, yeah, I know you're not familiar with that, but... I enjoyed my day, and then about three o'clock, it would dawn on me, oh no, it's three o'clock. I haven't even started the chore list. Dad's coming home. <laughs> I'd, I'd get outside and jump on the riding lawnmower, and, I, I, and my job was to cut the grass, but I wasn't cutting the grass. I was moving so fast, I was just laying it down and trying to get everything weed-eated around the house and get the carport swept off and make sure the bedroom was clean and the dishes were in the dishwasher and everything was ready to go because dad was coming home and I would continually look over my shoulder, look over my shoulder, wondering if the dust cloud would come down our little dirt road with dad in his pickup truck heading home and, and nervous that everything was not done. Dad said he was coming back and I knew that he was. Young person, Christ is coming back. And the Bible says that he is. He's going to come back and he's going to take us to be with him. And those that are here, the Bible says, number two, he is going to gather his own with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and, and we shall be called up together. That word called up is our word rapture. I don't believe in that rapture stuff. The word rapture is not even in the Bible. You know, there's a lot of words we use today that are not in the Bible. But there are truths in the Bible that we emphasize. And the truth here, the word for rapture, is the word to be caught up. Matter of fact, this is not the first time this is going to happen. There's a man named Enoch that was raptured. He was caught up to be with the Lord. He walked with God, and God called him up. There's a guy named Elijah who was raptured. A chariot of fire came and took him away from Elijah. There was a guy named Philip, an evangelist in the New Testament, who was raptured from one location to another. He was caught up and moved. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, after he addressed his disciples, was called up together in the clouds. It, it, it is not a new thought. 
It's an act that Jesus has commonly used, and he's going to use one more time. And someday he's coming to call us up to be with him forever in the clouds. If you believe, then this is your promise, to ever be with the Lord. To separate us from this life, from the wrath that is to come. I've heard people say recently, again, I don't know if I believe in this pre-tribulation rapture stuff. I mean, who are we to escape trouble? Well, according to Scripture, the answer's in Scripture, and that's what we believe, right? The Bible says clearly that the wrath to come is not your wrath. Jesus Christ already took your wrath. This is why the cross is significant. The fact that he died and was buried and rose again, he took your wrath upon himself. If he leaves his people here for wrath, he is a liar. Do you understand that? The Word of God is clear when it says that your wrath has already been taken by Christ upon the cross. And and it's not because we're any better. It's because we are sinners that he had to come and take our place. But someday, those who have rejected our Lord have to suffer their own personal wrath. And at that time, the tribulation will come, but you and I will be absent. Those who believe on him and have taken the truth of the fact that Christ paid our penalty on the cross for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is what eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord this is the promise that we have today guys you can let the anxiety go because we have hope in the fact that we've believed in a promise that God has given to us unless You've never believed. You've never put your faith and trust in the finished work of Calvary. Then I can understand the anxiety. I can understand the desire to want to push this thought away as if it's not real. Thirdly, my hope is bound to a responsibility. Notice what the text continues to say. Look at chapter 5. In verse number one, we're going to continue to move forward. Just kind of remove that five-chapter break, make it disappear in your brain, and look at this as a continuous thought. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, as he's talking to that church, ye need, uh, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. As travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in the darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Notice the statement here. This is, this is a fabulous statement. Hey, hey, church at Falsanica, uh, you, are, you, you that are believers in, in this place, you don't need for me to give you a date and a time. Here's what you already know to be true. This is what the text is saying. You are children of the light. 
God has revealed through himself being the light and the truth and the way, um, the plans that I have, who you are in Christ, and what my expectations are. You are children of the light. You see everything. My wife oftentimes will get up uh, in the night and go to the restroom. Not to share your private thoughts, baby, but it is what it is. And she tries to do this in the dark. And there are many times before I go to bed, I'm the last one to turn off the lights. And I, she may not, I think she does. She may not know this, but oftentimes, not every night, I'm very careful to look at the obstructions in the way. We have a sliding barn door that goes from our bathroom to our bedroom to our bathroom. And sometimes that barn door is halfway closed. And my thought is she'll get up in the middle of the night and be walking, bam, right into the door. And then, and then she'll scream and wake me up. And I don't want to be woken up. So I push the door out of the way. Before I turn the lights off, I'll notice shoes in the floor. I'll notice a, a blanket that's been maybe left where we were sitting on the couch and now it's kind of sticking in the pathway to the bathroom. And I'll slide the blanket or stick the shoes by the bed or uh, whatever. And if, if I was a good husband, I would put my shoes in the closet where they belong. But I just move them a little bit out of the way, right? It is what it is. But if the light was on, she'd know. But if the light is off, she doesn't. For those of us who are children of God, we are children of the light, and we know what is coming, and we believe it based upon the truths that have already come true and what he has prophesied to come true. None of us should be in the dark concerning this, but there are some who choose not to believe, who are still blinded in the dark, and it is going to take them like a thief in the night. Ah, it's not a big deal. This is all, this is just, you people are nuts. You're a cult, whatever. This is crazy. Boom. Like a thief in the night. The word of God is clear. You and I have been given a responsibility. Why? Because we know what is to come. And that would cause us to recognize that we cannot be idle. First of all, we have a responsibility to be ready. Notice what the Bible says about this in verse number 8. Actually, back up to verse 7. Let's continue reading. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night, that they're, that they're lost, they're, they're, um, uh, they're disoriented with what is happening, the Bible says. Look at verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Hey, hey, guys, we have a responsibility. I mean, you can lump me in the same group of all the preachers that have come through here and have said things like this. Wow, look at the potential 4,000 people. I did that this morning, and I couldn't help but to do so. I sat there and literally thought this as I prayed for you today. God, there are 4,000 students, and if they are in the light they know what's coming. And if they're sober-minded, the word sober means to be, uh, it's the idea of being in control, being alert, being aware, recognizing what's going on, not being in the dark, not being, as his word was, ignorant. You the Bible says we have a responsibility to be sober-minded, to be ready. Do not be caught off guard. 
We should know that daddy's coming down the driveway and we're going to see the dust cloud, but it's going to come instead of a dust cloud, clouds in the sky, and instead of a honk on the pickup truck, it's going to come with a blast from a trumpet. He is coming and we need to be looking, we need to be alert, we need to be ready because being alert of his coming helps me to know how to navigate my responsibility now. Don't blow it off. He's coming. Be ready. Be sober. The Bible goes on to say we have a responsibility to live faithfully. Notice what it tells us to do. Be sober, putting on the breastplate of two things, faith and the breastplate of love, those two things that protect us from the onslaught of everything else. Listen, there is an onslaught. Like never before, my generation, if I wanted to go study something and research something, I had to go to a library. I had to pull out a little clear slide and stick it in a machine and navigate the slide through a set of binoculars to study something that had been written in the past, and I just wasn't going to do that. And so study wasn't, you know, something that I was really in. But not today. All you do now is open up that phone and Google, sit on that laptop and search. Listen, listen, I'm telling you. He's coming. We need to be alert and we need to be ready in faith, protected by what we believe to be true and who we love. Listen, please, I'm begging you. Time is drawing nigh. The day is at hand. Every good generation of believers have recognized that and lived anticipating his coming. You have a responsibility, number three. We have a responsibility to encourage others. I love what he says at the end of the text. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. There's that promise again. Listen to it. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. I love the word comfort and the word edify. To encourage, to bring hope, and then edify is to build up. I love playing games. Please don't misunderstand me. But I can't imagine how many people are dying to and going to hell, how many Christians are battling and struggling with the, with the craziness and the anxiety of this life while you and I are sitting here playing games. And I do that to rest my brain sometimes, but it's not the majority of what I do. We have a responsibility to encourage and to edify. Who is sitting around you that needs these two items? They need to be encouraged and built. Invest, invest, invest. The Lord is coming. He's coming. This summer, I had the wonderful opportunity to preach Teen Extreme. And uh, matter of fact, where are all the Teen Extreme folk in here? My family. I love you, and uh, so thankful for the investment that you've placed in people's lives. Did I just say teen extreme folk? That just don't even go together, right? Hey, folk. So we left to come to teen extreme, and my, my daughter, who was sitting over here, Ren, she, she drove us to the airport, which is strange in itself, but they're growing up. Life is changing. They're becoming adults. We get in the car. We drive to the airport. She drops us off. And for the first time, to my knowledge, it's just Reagan and Wren, my second two oldest children who are students here, alone at the house for two weeks. Yeah, I had to wonder what was going to happen as I grabbed the suitcase out of the car. 
Love your dad. Love your mom. Be good. Oh, we will be good. There is no doubt. Right? But the truth be known, she always knew my return flight. She knew when I would be walking back in the door. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, that plane would land at a certain time. Unless you're flying American, then it might be late. Okay. But listen, I wondered, what if she didn't know what time I was landing? Would it change what she did for two weeks? Would it change what he did for two weeks? Just knowing that I was coming. Your hope is Christ. Rest in that promise and that responsibility. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.